Hi everybody, welcome to episode 3 of Satellite 664. I'm uh, one of your two co-hosts, Kaz Tagyan, from the beautiful city of Melbourne, Australia. And as always, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Steve Loopy Newhouse in the home of Iron Maiden, London, England. <laughs> and we have a... We have East, a very, East London, East London. East London, East London. We have a, <laughs> a, a very special guest on the show today, uh, um, a gentleman who a lot of Maiden fans would be uh, familiar with, Mr. Rasmus Stansberg from uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. Hello, Rasmus, and welcome to the show, my friend. Welcome, Ras. Thanks How, for having me. Pleasure. Thank you very You're welcome. much. You're thank welcome. You, thank you so much for coming on. This is a very much a, a, a global, international phenomenon. We've got... Uh, Melbourne, well, we've got Australia, Denmark, and the UK here. This is all in all in the one place. So, uh, very much typifies the whole Iron Maiden experience. So, Raz, um, I want to start off by now. I want to start off by getting you to introduce yourself and um, just just telling us how you got into the band and how you discovered Iron Maiden and being recognised as one of you know the major collectors globally. How you st- how you got into collecting? Well, uh, yes, I'm uh, Rasmus from Denmark. Uh, I've been uh, a main fan since I was around uh, eight years old, where I discovered uh, a small photocopy of a picture with uh, Eddie on it, and. Uh, at that time, I had no idea it was a band or had anything to do with music, but uh, I thought it was very cool with that monster. So uh, I put that paper on my, my room and uh, a few months later, my brother comes home with a, a 12 inch uh, record with uh, I Made, their first uh, debut album. And uh, when I put that on uh, my small uh, record player, I was, I was, I was just hooked. Uh, Of course, the monster was really awesome, but the music really had something. And uh, yeah, I listened to that record all the time. And uh, Fall Out was banned. And uh, my mom took me into Copenhagen uh, to buy more stuff. And uh, then I got the chance to get the singles and some postcards. And uh, and it was uh, that was really the start of uh, what was to become. well, almost a full-time job. <laughs> uh, that's oh, awesome. So you, you, you basically, you've basically been collecting since you was eight years old. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I think that, that from uh, I was around eight to ten, I started really to listen to the music. But around ten, I really started collecting. Every time I went so about, to okay. Copenhagen, I made was the logo I was looking for to find stuff. If it was T-shirts or scarves or posters or anything I could get my hands on. Mm. So uh, around when I'm around 10 years old, I started really collecting the band. Wow, wow. Yeah, Raz, your timeline and my timeline are very similar, um, albeit I discovered the band a couple of mi- months before the Peace of Mind album was released, but a very sort of similar experience. Um, you know, I, I saw the Eddie, the Riggs Eddie artwork, and um, then I heard the music and I think the the first song the first song I remember hearing was the that intro to Invaders on the number of the beast album is just phenomenal. So I can that resonates with me. Now Raz, you um 
have the distinction of being featured in the Guinness Book of Records. Can you, as as the top Iron Maiden collector in the world, uh, could you elaborate a bit on that, please? Yeah, sure. It was actually uh, a joke. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's this uh, Danish TV show. They called me up one day and say they are doing a special on uh, on collectors. And somebody gave them my name and said, well, that's a crazy collector that you should talk to that guy. He has a house full of <laughs> And they asked me to come on the show and said, I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. And I go on that show and show off some different uh, memorabilia. And we talk a little about uh, how I got into collecting and, and stuff like that. But after the show, one of the, the guys in the studio, he says, uh, who has the biggest collection of Iron Maiden in the world? And I said, well, I have no idea. Uh, because it's impossible to know. There can be collectors out there that never show off their stuff. Uh, but we do know there are some people who have uh, big collections. And then he asked me, he said, but what does the Guinness Book of Records says? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so when we went home, we looked up uh, and there was nothing. There was no Iron Maiden in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I was a little bit disappointed by that. So uh, we write to Guinness Book of World Records and say, well, why don't you have the biggest Iron Maiden collection, blah, blah, blah. And they say, well, why don't you try to take it? I said, well, sure, no problem. And they sent me this box of rules for how to get in the Book of World Records. And it was not that easy. It actually took me almost a year from I got the package to they say, well, you have the record. So, uh, well, I had to take pictures. I had to have uh, all kinds of uh, smart people coming in and see the collection, like judges and uh, lawyers and all that crap before they said, well, it's he really has a lot of stuff. And, uh, well... Then I got the certificate, and I, I do know that could probably be somebody out there who has a bigger collection, and I'm fine by that, and if they want to try to take a record, it, it, it's also fine with me. It was really just a fun thing to do, to put Iron Maiden in the book World of Records. So, so, so do you still have the world record? Well, it's still my name in the book. Okay. So, uh, so yes, officially, I have... <laughs> Biggest collector. <laughs> but I'm sure out there might have more, and, and it's it's okay by me. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, Raz, back in the uh, back so... in the eighties, as kids, we we just sort of went to record stores and music shops and purchased items. You know, a patch here, or a badge, or a vinyl. At that time, I personally, I wasn't actually consciously aware that I was collecting. It was only years later, um, in fact, in the, almost like the modern era, when I, one day I just looked around and I thought, oh, I've got all this stuff, I'm actually a collector. When did you feel that you transitioned from somebody who liked the odd Iron Maiden item here and there to actually being, what well, I suppose, a professional collector? Well, as a kid, uh, before Maiden, I collected, like, posters and uh, not posters, stickers and stuff like that. But uh, but I didn't really see it as uh, I was a collector. But at one point, 
I had so much framed stuff that I actually thought it could be fun to have 666 framed items. <laughs> and that was actually my first question to Guinness World Record, if I could get the record for most framed Iron Maiden items. And they said they don't have, uh, they don't have a page for that, so uh, it had to be memorabilia. And that was okay. But when you have to count your stuff, what is memorabilia? Because I send in those 4,100 something items. But I have tons more because I didn't count newspapers, magazines, and I, I counted uh, things that I thought was an item. So uh, it, it's very hard to say how much stuff do you really have. But I did have, have 666 framed items. So at that point I was like, okay, uh, I might be a crazy collector now. But from that on I just went, well now the goal is 1000 framed items. And I went and I went over 1,000 framed items. Well, I don't know what to do now. I have frames all over. It's <laughs> I don't have more room. Yeah, and you've got good so, neighbors. So we bought a bigger house. <laughs> that's actually yeah. So that's actually a segue into my next point, and and that is, how do you deal with the logistics of Sort of grappling with such a large collection and and housing such a huge collection. How do you go about doing that? Well, first of all, you need to have a very uh, understandable uh, girlfriend or wife, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, well, so different, so then. diplomatic. <laughs> you, you get to get to have an uh, agreement how you, you want to do it and uh, for us it was easy we just cut the house in half and I take one half and she has the other part <laughs> and I just fill my half up with I'm in. Uh, okay, okay, uh, stop there. Uh, so which half is the kitchen, yours or hers? Hers. <laughs> <laughs> How sexy as can you get? <laughs> no, no, but it, it's it's all good. I, she really loves the place anyway. I can yeah. see that every time we have uh, new guests in our in our house, the first thing she want to show them is that I'm in. cannot be all bad. Is is she an Iron Maiden fan? Yeah. Yes, she is. Oh well, that that always helps. <laughs> Rez, do you, do you, when you collect, do you have doubles of certain things, particularly valuable stuff, or do you sort of limit it to one, one item? I mean, because some, some collectors like to have doubles and triples and, and hold on to it. Others use it uh, as, I guess, you know, as a tool to barter or upgrade, uh, you know, their, yeah. their items. What's your approach to that sort of collecting I never, I never buy double, mm. and that's because, with my knowledge, I think I could uh, actually earn a lot of money on Iron Maiden, but for me, then it would be uh, a business and not a hobby. Yes. So I actually mm. try not to sell Iron Maiden stuff because I don't want to be that guy going up buying 20 uh, rare t-shirts just to sell them. I, I, I know I could. Uh, earn some money on it, but 
I don't think it would be a good thing. I've seen some of my friends try that and they lose uh, interest in the band mm. because then it's all business. And for me, it's a big hobby and I don't want it to become a business. That is such a good point that you make and I agree entirely. At the end of the day, we get into collecting because we love the band and it's fun and it's enjoyable. When yeah, it's- I was just thinking the same thing. There is a difference there. You know, sort of being a fan and doing this because it's a hobby, rather than being a fan and doing this to make money. Yeah, there is a hell of a difference. Yeah, and and I guess being a, you know... I don't want to say stuff about people doing it, actually. Of course I can understand somebody sees uh, they can earn a lot of money going buying 50 t-shirts and selling them on eBay the day after. Well, good for them. If people don't want to buy, well, it's a free world. You don't have to buy it. And also, too, when you get into people who get into the habit of just selling, you know, amassing items and then selling them, it really does take the fun out of collecting, doesn't it? I would say so, but I don't know how (coughs) about it, right? Uh, We're all different, so. Indeed. Now, Raz, I'm going to ask you a really difficult question, and I don't know whether you'll be able to answer this or not. What is your favourite piece? What is your favourite item in that in that colossal collection? Uh, it's a hard one huh? because there's so many stories with so many of uh, those items that I have, but. Uh, if I really have to choose, let's say uh, the building was burning and I have to grab one piece and run out. It is, I think I would go for one of my original Derrick's uh, paintings. Which one's that? And that's because the whole story about Derrick's and Iron Maiden was really the, the thing that got me into Iron Maiden. But also because uh, I learned uh, to know the guy and uh, and consider him a friend these days. And uh, uh, it's one of the saddest moments for me. That was when uh, he parted with, with Maiden. Uh, yes, they have great artists doing great stuff for them. But Derek was really, well, he was the really creator behind the, the edit that we all love. So, uh, I absolutely agree 100%. And it's not so much a bias because we grew up with those eddies as kids, but... Uh, I, f- I felt the, the Eddies from, you know, 1980 to 1992, they had a personality. They, they had a, a real character that shone through the painting. I find, you know, I find the more modern Eddies a, li- a little bit more generic and sort of stylistically well, admired. We, we become grown-ups now and... <laughs> The stuff don't affect us as it did when we were kids, like mm. the music did. If we ask almost every adult Maiden fan, their favorite I Maiden album is from the 80s, right? Mm. So, and it's not because Maiden don't do great records now, but back then they just had a deeper impact on us. Yeah, I just find in 1986, I was spending endless hours gazing and staring at the Summer in Time album cover on a daily basis. I, do, I haven't done that with, for example, Dance of Death. I haven't done that with A Matter of Life and Death. Mind you, I love those albums, 
but I'm not drawn to the imagery. Yeah. So I think there is a difference. Now, which kind of brings us to the next point. How have you, in your opinion, how have you observed or perceived Iron Maiden merchandise changing or evolving from the 80s to now? Well, well, the internet is the big thing here, right? That changed it, everything. Because, yeah, back then you really had to go into the bigger towns and you had to walk all over, talk to all the shops, have lots of contacts, write a lot of letters to people to, to get stuff. Uh, today, it's just by pushing a button and then you have the world at your hands. It's only what you have the money for, but it's all it's all out there, and it's easy to combine now. Uh, so the hunt was a little bit more difficult back then, but I still get the, I still get goosebumps and I still get a high pulse, even going on eBay today bidding. So it's uh, it's it's still a lot of fun to hunt to find new stuff and see if you get it. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, but I would. Of course, uh, yeah. Back then, when, when the band made the merchandise, they made it to get more fans. Now they are a big band. They don't need more fans. Of course, they want it, but they don't need it. Now they print rare stuff just to say it's rare stuff. Right? Like, right. Uh, like the comic. We have three of, or four or six or eight of each comic book coming out. It's the same comic book that has a new front, just for us collectors to go crazy. I love it. <laughs> Raz, do you yeah. only do you only collect official Iron Maiden stuff, or do you? I mean, when when I was touring with the band back in the early eighties, uh, we used to go outside the venues, especially in Europe, Germany, France. You'd always find bootleg material that was better than the official stuff, and that's why yeah. we always bought it. Do you do the same? Yeah, still do. It has to be. It means nothing if it's official or unofficial. I buy stuff if it's cool or have a great story. Of course, I don't like if somebody tried to uh, rip off the band. But uh, but I have tons of on, uh, unofficial stuff, and I, and I love it because sometimes you find some uh, some great artists out there who can do stuff the band just can't provide for us. So uh, yeah. I have yeah. lots of stuff that is unofficial. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah, you actually mentioned a, a very good point, Raz. Back then, it really was, and I like the words you used, it was about the hunt and it was about the thrill of the chase. It was about going to a record fair or, as you say, writing letters to pen pals we used to do uh, back in the old days. And somebody would have, say, a bootleg that you're after or somebody would have a, a tour poster which maybe wasn't available in your country. And now, I guess it's just, uh, I guess, indicative of the modern world. It's the technology, and it's a good thing. It, it does provide, uh, again, I like what you said, the world at your fingertips, and it's amazing how that's changed. Although, I think that also opens the door to uh, some negative stuff as well, like counterfeiting and fake items. And... In particular, posters, 
um, and signatures, particularly on places like eBay, are notorious for fake uh, fake items turning up. How do you uh, decipher? I mean, look, you're a very knowledgeable fan, but how would you advise somebody who's new to collecting how to tell a fake from a genuine article or a fake item? Well, when you when you get into all this collecting thing, you have to uh, sit down. If you want to be really good at it, you have to learn all the rules about it. It not it's not just something you learn from uh, on a week or a month or a year. We have doing we have been doing this since we were kids. So of course we know a lot of stuff. We have a lot of uh, contacts. We have tons of books to look in and data and 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 we use that all the time to see if stuff is fake or not. Uh, it's fun because you go on Facebook and see these people uh, putting out a picture of a record saying, oh, what this signature real? And you're like, well, I can give you my honest opinion, but in the end, I cannot tell you because I was not there. So uh, yeah, give them some good advice. And of course, uh, you both know, uh, I'm sure you both get asked all the time uh, to help uh, people out. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Real or fake, right? So uh, we can only give our honest opinion. But some people get really annoyed if you say their stuff is fake. They really don't like it. It's like, well, suddenly you're not their friend anymore because you said bad stuff. And and it's fun because I often see some people who are very happy with an item and they post a picture on Facebook, and suddenly everybody is an expert telling them they have fake stuff instead of just saying, <laughs> oh. You have, you have some cool items, <laughs> but maybe you should check the signature or something. But, but people are really, uh, they're not so nice to each other when it comes to uh, giving people advice. Raz, I, I think... Just a, Sorry. just a little add, add on there. Um, what I've noticed, uh, especially in recent times, Steve Harris's signature is very, very recognisable. Yeah. But there are also times when he tends to now add all the best at the top. And it makes it look like it's just a scribble, but it is still his signature. But people go, well, what does that say at the top? It's all the best. So when you actually look at it, yeah, it says all the best, but it is a scribble. And it's very yeah. unlike Steve, because he's usually very precise about everything. Yeah. But, but like I said before, he, he, he's my, he, he might just came out of a taxi going into his hotel and some fan puts a record in his face and he has to sign it in two seconds. So yeah. it will be... And then he's off, right? So then it will not look like the rest of his signatures. But uh, that's why I really love the idea that you go and get your signatures. Then you know it's the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the best way to do it, yeah. I agree 100%. Uh, getting, buying a signature is very different to getting it yourself. Because when you get that signature yourself, it's not really so much about the signature. It's about... Your, your connection to the band and your connection to that memory with the band. Um, you know, it's very easy to buy a signature on eBay and just stick it on the wall, but to actually connect and get it yourself, it, 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 it's a different experience altogether. And anybody that's ever had a signature from the guys would, would know exactly what that sort of means. Rez, do you at the moment have a particular item which you don't have, which is on the top of your wish list. In other words, what is your, what are you on the hunt for at the moment? <laughs> Let's just watch his face brighten up. There's something on his mind. 
the hunt, hunt never stops, right? So it's, well, right now I'm actually working on uh, trying to get hold of uh, a really rare piece, uh, the Rick's uh, artwork that was uh, uh, ordered by the band, but uh, never used and ended up in uh, a private uh, art collection in the US. Which era was that? And uh, it's from uh, 82. Oh, blimey. It's 82, that's... Uh, it's well, it's also number of beast killers, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, people say it's not a really good painting, but... Uh, but it's there, and it's not seen. It's not on the web, uh, so uh, that's uh, yeah. Can you describe the image? Uh, you have uh, Eddie and the band members standing in the same kind of uh, world as uh, the background on the Nova of the Beast. So back cover, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Now the million dollar question, Rasmus. With collecting, when is enough enough and how much is enough? I mean, I know personally myself, I've, I've said to myself time and time again, okay, that's it, no more, I've got enough. But five minutes later, something pops up. A shirt, a poster, something. And I find myself in this, <laughs> this spiral this of, of, of collecting and amassing. Have you got a ceiling or a point where enough's enough? Or is it never enough? Uh, of course, I have this uh, rule that uh, if it, it's so crazy that I collect and use all my money and can't pay my bills, then uh, it has taken over and I don't want that. Uh, or if it doesn't make me happy. Uh, right now, I still get great kick of collecting uh, I Maiden, but it's the whole package, right? It's going out uh, to the whole world, meeting the people all over the place, uh, going to the gigs. Uh, there's so much stuff. It's, it's not just collecting I Maiden. But of course, uh, just coming home and walking into uh, a world of I Maiden, for me, it's, it's, it's the best thing ever. It's your sanctuary. Yeah. It's like your sanctuary, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I think you raise an important point there. It's, um, you know, if it's fun, if the hobby uh, continues to ignite that passion, then then it's never, then it, there's no need for it to be enough. That's why I don't uh, hesitate in, in all those, uh, in so much bad stuff on Facebook, all the arguments and all that. I don't want that. For me, if I go on Facebook to read or talk, I mean, I want to talk about good stuff. Like going to the I mean fan club to look at the poll and say, oh, what's the most bad I mean record? It's the most bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> what's that kind of question? That's something cool, nice, or fun. Or let us all smile. It's this is this is a good thing. So yeah. you should be happy to choose the band that uh, decided to tour forever. So I'm just happy. Yeah, tour forever. I hope they tour forever, but. Um... Who knows? Actually, did just just there you go. just shit. <laughs> I hope so. 
only here first. So it so it shall be written. So it shall be done. Actually, yeah, let's get let's go round the uh, round the table. Let's get everyone's opinion just before we move on. Raz, how many more tours? How many more tours do you think the boys have got with this current lineup? Well, as I say, there's always the next one, and until there's no more next one, I don't want to think about it because it's a bad thing, and I want to think positive things about my. Loopy? Like said, you could have uh, a band member getting, uh, they will die tomorrow or mm. in a car accident or something. Mm. But you don't want to think about that. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I've got to admit, it is a tough one. It's, um, I know there are certain things in place to replace certain people, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think one more album, maybe one more tour. I, uh, I really, uh, mate, I. Uh, from professional level, I can't see beyond that. Loopy, you mean with this? With cu- with, yeah. So, uh, do you mean with, with this? Yeah, with, with this current yeah, with this lineup. Current lineup. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think yeah. I think my personal opinion, um, and look, let's just say it for what it is. Obviously, Nico is <coughs> sixty-seven, well-documented yeah. problems with arthritis, back pain, and he does have arguably the, the toughest job on stage and his very athletic um, activity is what he which is what he what he does look I think we've got obviously um, the new album tour for which whenever that will be 2020 2021 and my personal opinion if they manage his back pain and manage his arthritis well I think we'll get one more tour beyond that so I reckon 2022. And I certainly agree with you, Loopy. I think they will not let this huge, colossal brand just stop after that. I think, I think we'll be surprised. I think the band will go on uh, with or without Nico for a while longer. So, and I know a lot of people disagree with uh, that. I, I do know for a fact that there is something in place, but I can't mention that here. No, no. Yeah, and it, I heard the same thing. Yeah, the, yeah. We've all look. We've uh, all. We've all heard it. We've all heard it. We all yeah. know it. Um, and we will let it declare itself when it does happen. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, we get, you know, more than just one new album over the next few years with, you know, multiple tours. Because let's face it, the guys are healthy. The guys are well, um, touch wood. And there's, there's no reason why Maiden shouldn't go on for... Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's, there's probably two or three uh, live albums to come as well, you know, <laughs> that's the way they do it. But well, uh, yeah, maybe one or two, definitely one studio album with this lineup. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And from a, from a career standpoint, my personal opinion, I want to emphasize my personal opinion, I think we'll get at least two more mm-hmm. new studio albums and quite a few tours. Um, I'd like to see them do. A, a live sort of or a legacy tour with a lot more emphasis to the 90s. Now, I know that'll never happen because it was, uh, I guess, looked at as more of a decline period. But let's not forget, guys, Fear of the Dark, 1992. I mean, that was a number one album. It was a huge tour. They, uh, they, they headlined Donington. Um, and I would like to see them, you know, uh, a tip of the hat to that era as well. Do you guys think that'll ever happen? 
Well, I mean, that that would actually make a lot of sense when you think they did the 1998 tour. So everything before 1998, apart from Fear of the Dark. Now, why not do a tour of, of songs from 1998, uh, 1998, or 1988 up to present? Something they've not done. You know, doesn't take much working out. They've done the pre-88, why not do post-88? Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Now, Raz, game. Ouch. What's wrong? What happened? Some bloody cat just jumps on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> now, getting getting back to the topic of the day, collecting. Now, Raz, you've kindly um, provided us a, a selection of about a, approximately a dozen really cool, interesting items that we'd like to focus on. There's like the the, the collect the focus part of the show, so let's let's start and we'll we'll put some images up for the um the audience to see uh, to get really an appreciation of what you're saying. So let's start in chronological order. 1978 Soundhouse seven inch vinyl. Talk to us about this. How did you get it? Was there a story behind you acquiring it? Why is it special to you? It's the soundhouse tapes for so for all those uh, vinyl collectors. It's the holy grail of the I mean collection. I would say for most people. Uh, for me, it of of course it was a sort of after item for for many years until I got polo one. Uh, but the cool thing about the one I sent a picture to you is uh, that one I actually won in a I mean fan club uh, convention competition. So I got that from uh, Les, mm. and the fun thing about that cover is there has never been a record in it, because that was one of the extra covers that was printed. <laughs> so there has never been a record inside of it. So I actually own two Soundhouse tapes, but this one... Well, I've got to admit, the, the Soundhouse tapes I've got, with the cover, yeah. it actually came from Les as well. Because I had the single, but I didn't have the cover. Yeah. I have the cover, Louis. <laughs> uh, my, my actual my, my copy of the single, but the original copy that I had, went missing years and years ago. Uh, yeah. It was Keith Wilfall. Keith Wilfall actually brought me over a copy, like one of his own personal ones. So I know that mine is, is genuine, but the, the yeah. cover I had to get from Laz. <laughs> That's cool. uh, and mine's all signed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I collected myself by meeting the band members, so it's uh, yeah for me it's a it's a really really cool uh, rare item, uh, mm. but it's not on my top ten. <laughs> All right, now let's let's move forward in time. Let's go to 1984-85. You've got um, Bruce's World Slavery Tour stage gear um, with the the yellow the yellow pants that he wore in. Most of 1984 and a couple of the 85 shows. I know the the shows in Australia. He actually wore the yellow pants. I think in Adelaide. Um, so yeah, must stick. <laughs> how did you come across that, mate? Well, it, it, it's it's crazy because I think the whole idea of, of starting collecting uh, uh, pieces of clothes from the band actually come from going to hard rock cafes and seeing. They framed off stuff from famous uh, rock stars. 
And at one point I thought, oh, that could be fun too if you got hold of, of some uh, cool stuff. Especially because when we see this kind of uh, custom-made clothes Bruce wears, you know, that's Bruce's... Uh, nobody else would wear that. Anyway, it's crazy. But there was this roadie who actually worked for Maiden and uh, Bruce's yellow uh, leather trousers, they uh, had a hole in them and he had to have them uh, repaired. But Bruce never got them back. Uh, and this roadie kept them for years and ended up selling them to uh, a girl I know, a uh, girl called Tina. And she was a huge uh, Bruce Dickinson fan. And she had them for years. And uh, we, we are great friends. And every time I, I was on a visit at her place, I said, well, why are those yellow Bruce pants lying on the floor. <laughs> you should display them, you should put them up in some way, you should respect the item more than you do. But she said, no, nah, it's okay. Uh, I like them here because I can snip them, she said as a joke. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was, she was great fun and uh, well, uh, at some point she, she lost a bit of interest in Iron Maiden and uh, we made a deal and I bought them. And of course, I put them on display. Uh, same year, luck strikes me because uh, I get hold of Bruce's ex-wife and get to talk to her. And we talked about uh, collecting and stuff. And uh, she says, well, I still have uh, Bruce's old t-shirt and I can send it to you. So I get his snake t-shirt from the World Slavery Tour from his ex-wife. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. Was that, was that, I just that, need the Eddie Bell now, and I'm pretty sure Bruce don't want to give him that. So. <laughs> oh, so the, the roadie, was that Warren Poppy by anyway? Uh, I can ask Tina and find out. I'm pretty sure she still knows the name of the guy. Okay. And also, the ex-wife would have been Joan. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Tina actually got the trousers in uh, New York, so I don't know if you noticed that roadie is from the New York area. Oh, no, no. Warren was, uh, he came from... Um, he was a Californian boy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so, no, it's, it's, it's a fun story. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. 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 Now, moving forward to uh, my favorite era, tell us about the Somewhere in Time Derek Riggs sketch. Yeah. Well, that's a fun special piece. It's actually, uh, it was owned by Dave Light. He actually got it uh, to uh, make up the stage design from the Somewhere on Tour, uh, the World Tour. And uh, he needed the idea to set the whole thing up. And then he got the sketch before the actually uh, artwork was painted. Uh, so, uh, and if you look at it, you can see Eddie, has, he has uh, trousers on, he has a t-shirt, he has long hair. He's not a cyborg. So uh, at some point the band went in and talked to Derek and they ended up with the, the, the Summer in Time album cover as it is now. But it's fun to see how it could have ended up if it was all, all up to Derek. So uh, yeah. And there's a lot of small pieces uh, in, the, in the sketch drawing where you can see he wanted to put in some uh, spaceships from Star Wars and uh, Star Trek. But I'm pretty sure they found out all that stuff is copyrighted and then they took it out of the, the original paint. Wow, that is amazing. That is absolutely <laughs> amazing. That's why I love 
talking to people like yourself, and we just find out these these incredible things that I, I never knew. I mean, you know, I was right into the album back then. I never knew that. Um, okay, let's go forward in time. Probably my favourite piece in your collection is sitting right behind you. Uh, behind your right shoulder is the 1988 Seventh Tour of a Seventh Tour ice sculpture from the uh, the this that tour. Tell you got to tell us about that. How did you get that? How did you carry that home? Did you bring that in a van or a truck? How did you get that? <laughs> Back of his bike. <laughs> did you did you did you go to the show? Did you go to the Copenhagen show in '88 and go backstage and grab that? What happened? I was not that brave back then. I'm pretty sure I would, I would not even try that today. But well, <laughs> uh, of course the '88, yeah. Well, the '88 show, uh, of course, an epic tour, seven tour, seven tour. Uh, everybody knows when uh, they go back from tour, I made takes all the stuff and put it in a warehouse, and uh, it's never to be seen again unless we are really, uh, really lucky. But uh, they did do the Racing Hill DVD in 1993, and they took out a lot of the, the items from the warehouse to put in the, the BBC studio. And uh, some of the stuff they took out was the Ice Ladies. But after that, they were never returned. They actually ended up in a garden in, uh, in London. And uh, that guy, uh, some years later, he sold them on eBay. Oh. And uh, it was a pickup only uh, auction. And uh, one of them ended up in the US. One ended up, no, two of them ended up in, uh, no, two ended up in the US and one ended up in the UK. And uh, the last one was in Steve Harris' garden. And, uh, well, I, I, I knew all the guys who had them. And, uh, this guy, uh, uh, one of the guys from the US, he actually sold it to me because it was just standing in his uh, garage and he thought it was quite sad. It was just standing there. And I think he also thought it would be cool that it got displayed. So it ended up at my place. So now we have one in, uh, in the US, one in Denmark, and the other one in London actually is uh, down in my basement. Wow. <laughs> Raz, what's the... What's because- the- What's that sculpture made of? What's it actually made of? Uh, I don't know what you call it. It's the same thing who's in a, a Lackwest. So it's polystyrene. Yeah, it doesn't weigh anything. Yeah, polystyrene. Pick up. Yeah. But it's huge. And you have to have some good friends in the, the shipping company to have something like that sent home. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Unbelievable! I just, I just love that thing. It's probably my, as I said, it's my favourite um, uh, item in your collection. I'd love it. Um, okay, let's let's now go to the nineties, um, or the very early nineties. And nineteen ninety, no prayer for the dying, transition time for the band. Tell us about the um, the walk on Eddie T-shirt. The uh, you ain't got a prayer. Shirt. Yeah, that's uh, the guys at the uh, Hangman who 
There was all the the stage eighty stuff. There was a guy there who had the uh, Eddie's vest and T-shirt. And I have no idea why he had it, but uh, I talked to him and ended up with uh, a really really cool piece for my collection. <laughs> uh, it's too big for me, so I don't wear it. It's just hanging on the wall. But I'm still amazed when I got it. Like, come on, how does stuff like that cape come out? It's just uh, yeah. I guess he couldn't. Uh, he, he he had no use for it anymore. So uh, no. Well, holding it for him. <laughs> and staying on that tour, staying on the 1990 and 91 tour, can you talk us through these um these sketches, the No Proof of the Dying tour sketches? Yeah, they are great designs. It's uh it's the design you do when. Uh, when you have to do the stage setup, how the stage is going to look. Of course, I mean, love to use the backdrops, those big blankets hanging in the back of the of the of the stage with all ladies on. And if you look closely on them, you can actually see uh, they're putting uh, Marshall speakers up, so you can see how much will the Marshall speakers uh, take up room in front of the the backdrop. But this was actually given to the printer's son who worked at the hangman and I met him at a bar and he sold them for 10 pound each to me. So, uh, mm. a good day at the bar, I would say. <laughs> 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 for me anyway. <laughs> oh man, that is, that is awesome. I love, I love these stories. Every item has a story and a background and it's, it makes it so much more vivid. Okay. Now let's, come forward to the post reunion era let's go to yep. 2007 and it's the matter of life and death. no it was the, the the 2007 tour um dave murray's guitar tell us about dave murray's guitar yes sadly i was not at that gig it was uh, another donning time gig by maiden and uh, in the end of the gig in the end of iron maiden uh, something goes wrong with Dave's guitar and he gets really pissed. And as you know, Dave doesn't normally smash his guitars. I think he, he has only done it once before in 83, where he <laughs> killed Eddie with his guitar. But but it's not something we see Dave Murray really do. But once again, he gets really mad and kills this guitar on stage. There's some cool footage on uh, YouTube of it, if people want to see it. And uh, after that, they brought the guitar into the audience. And uh, there's, a, there's a really young kid called Marcus from Norway standing. He's been standing there all day to see Iron Maiden. And uh, the guitar doesn't reach the audience. It landed just in front of him. But one of the security guards actually picks it up and gives it to uh, Marcus. Uh, and of course, he's over the moon about this guitar he just got from Iron Maiden. And very understandable. And uh, many years later, he actually sells it. Don't know why, but he, he ended up selling it to who? Not me. Tina. <laughs> and as you know, uh -huh. Tina, she lost interest in Iron Maiden. So uh, since I'm a very good friend of her, I got the chance to, to buy from her. And uh, that's how yeah. it ended up here. So uh, cool. yeah. 
a really, really rare and special prize, uh, and it's on my top ten for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm actually wondering because the guitar you talked about in '83 was uh, that was a um, what was known as a Squire, which I suppose yep. is a, it's a Fender Squire and it's a Stratocaster copy. And I'm wondering whether the one you've got is also a Squire. Yeah. In which case it was probably doctored to be smashed up, in which case it was all planned. I don't know. Until I actually sort of look take a proper look at the guitar, it, I can tell it you but could be. It, it looks like one of the, the real fenders with the number on the back or something, but I'm not a guitar expert, so I have no idea. I just mm. know it's the right guitar that he smashed it up, and I think it's cool. Yeah. But uh, I never got the chance to ask Dave uh, about it myself. Maybe I should do that one day if I get the chance. <laughs> if I see him, if I see him in New York, I'll ask. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. I'll keep. I'll keep it between me and you. Remember starting in two thousand and seven. Yeah, this, oh, this is true. If I ask his wife, she'll know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, the Book of Souls tour, two thousand sixteen seventeen. Eddie's heart. Eddie's heart lives yeah. in your house. Um, Give us the story. Well, as you know, uh, every night, uh, made perform live, they, Bruce ripped out Eddie's heart and threw it into the audience. And that would just be, for a collector side of you, it, it was a thing you really, really, really wanted to get your hands on. But also really, really hard to. <coughs> but of course, I go on tour. Every time they rip the heart out, I try to catch it. No luck. Uh, ending up sitting in a restaurant in uh, in China, just before the gig in China. And one of my greatest uh, traveling friends, Paul from Norway, he's, uh, he's sitting at the same restaurant and he has a question for me. And I'm like, okay, what? Uh, I want to ask you if you want to be my best man at my wedding. So I was very honored and said, yeah, of course, of course I want to do that. He said, well... It, it's custom in uh, in Norway to give the, the best man a gift, and he takes off Eddie's heart. And I'm like, holy crap! And he gives me Eddie's heart, and they actually got that in uh, Tokyo some days earlier when they were in Japan seeing me. So what a uh, cool story. That is yeah, cool. so it's a, it's a cool heart because it's Eddie's and the whole I mean thing, but also because it's one of my greatest friends uh, in this uh, I mean community, and uh, yeah, so uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. Really cool. That is a cool story. I like that. Absolutely. That's um, one of the best things I've ever heard, actually. Okay, and um, now, uh, I guess, merchandising of the modern era, the big modern era of branding where Iron Maiden is a colossal mega brand none bigger than Trooper Beer um, you have a huge collection of Trooper Beer tell us take us through take us through the collection well we will get drunk then <laughs> oh, well I don't drink I don't drink I don't drink anymore not anymore anyway so. and, I, and I don't drink Trooper <laughs> you don't like the new one do we I've tried it and I'm not all that impressed. It reminds me of something, but I can't quite think what. Okay, I like the new one. Uh, it's a Pilsner, but it's, it's it, I, I really enjoy it. But of course, it's super cool to have a true beer with a badass label on it. But yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, 
maybe it's not the best beer in the world, but uh, it's the best looking beer in the world, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. of course, maybe put out a beer and suddenly we all wanted to collect trooper beers because we thought that was easy and cheap. But it's, no. well, it's crazy now. <laughs> Every yeah. country get their own trooper beers and, and it's even worse than vinyl records. It's, uh, it will never stop. But, uh, <laughs> I, I will try to connect a few pieces of the trooper stuff, but, uh, but we have friends in the UK who will take care of uh, collecting all the trooper stuff, so that's good. Yeah, so leave me off, Stuart Coburn. Yeah. That one was for you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I really so I don't, I don't collect it. Well, I don't, don't really collect anything. Memories. I've got enough of those too. I collect photos. <laughs> Steve, you've got the biggest collection and the best collection of all. You were there. You were a part of what Iron Maiden from you know when it all started, well, yeah. right right up until Power Slave, <laughs> for sure. I don't know if I have to tell you, Luby, but I okay. talked to your wife. Yeah, and go on. I actually got permission to get you stuffed standing here when you're not here with us anymore. Oh, that's part cool. of my collection. Have it be free. You do it for nothing. I have no rookies in my collection yet. <laughs> yeah, she'd agree. Just to get rid of me. <laughs> so, so Raz, when, when, and where is your next Iron Maiden concert? Uh, I think I'm seeing them in uh, Chicago. Next time? So, this year, basically this year. Yep. Next yep. month? Yeah. It's around the corner, gentlemen. It's around the corner. Not far away. All right, Loopy, anything else you want to add about the yeah, whole... I'd, I'd like to go... Um, just one thing you did miss out on that was the uh, Fear of Dark Eddie. I'm oh, too. I'm so sorry. Yes, yes, I did miss out on that. I did. Okay. Fear of the Dark Eddie, 1992. You've got the Eddie head. I would love to hear about that. Uh, after the photo shoot for, uh, for the picture who is on the backside on the vinyl edition of uh, Fear of the Dark, where the band is standing with the big bat, Eddie, uh, yeah. actually ripped off the head, broke the rest of the bat out, and kept the head. Uh, this guy puts it on an auction site, and Tina, my friend, she actually finds it and uh, phoned me up, and I'm on, I'm on uh, duty with the army. I'm actually out in a forest, <laughs> <coughs> and she tells me about this stuff, and I'm like, holy crap, that would be a cool piece to have. But I'm nowhere near a computer. I cannot participate in this auction. So she actually uh, bids for me over the phone, <laughs> and and I ended up winning. So I'm sitting in a fucking forest in Denmark, winning a really rare piece of Iron Maiden, yelling "Yay!" and everybody thinks I'm a fucking loony. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, that, that particular mask. Now, I, I used yeah. when, I, when I finished working with Maiden, I used to work for a stationery company called Stage Miracles, and yeah. we did gigs all over the place. I mean, absolutely everywhere. 
Uh, and we were asked to go in and do, um, it was a, an album promotion party for Iron Maiden, at a venue somewhere in Chelsea. Yeah. And that that head um, was actually attached in the, in the corner of the stairwell as you went up into the venue. Uh, but what I remember it being was uh, there was also like a set of wings attached to the back of it yeah. and a huge pointed tail that curled away from the back. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that was up right in the corner. Um, yeah. I don't, but that is definitely the same head. I know that. Yeah. yeah sorry, it was like, yeah. The full Eddie uh, that is better than the ones you see on the record sleeve. Uh, yeah. But in the, I think it's the Monster of Rock '92 in the back of the tour program. There are some pretty cool pictures of uh, the band with the the big bad Eddie, where the pictures are a little bit cooler. There are also some uh, some uh, promotion girls standing with Eddie and and stuff like that. So. Uh, where people can take a look. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I mean, we all saw that tour, but um, I remember the show that I was at. Um, they because that, that was in a, a four thousand seat hall, and yeah. obviously wasn't. I don't think it was big enough for them to bring the the big, uh, big bat bat wing Eddie at the end. And I, all we got that night was the walk on Eddie from the No Prayer for the Dying tour, which which was. A bit <laughs> Two walking eddies on the fifth dark tour because one of them broke down. The first one was the tree eddy walking around, but that's right. Apparently, it didn't work, so they changed it to the older eddy. So, did you see the tree eddy, Raz? The walking tree eddy? No, no, I think it was only at the start of the tour. So, uh, yeah, because by the time I saw them that tour in October, it was well and truly just the No Prayer for the Dying walk on Eddie. And yeah. um, again, as I said, the hall, yes, because back in those days, they were still doing small venues. It was, there was no big Eddie, there was no show. It was completely stripped down, completely just Marshall Stacks and a walk on Eddie from two years before. So it was uh, <laughs> interesting. Excellent. Well, um, Loopy, anything else you want to add, add mate? Yeah, I just uh, made a made a note. Going back to, um, we were talking about Ice Eddie uh, from the 88 tour. Um, and you were saying that they, they had a, they, they were stored in a warehouse yeah. and, were and were left outside and never got put back in. Uh, well, uh, that... They had them in a warehouse. I know uh, for a fact that Steve had the, the somewhere in time uh, uh, Ice Eddie in his garden. But yeah. at some point, uh, Big Valley uh, apparently set fire to it because he was burning up some leaves from the garden. Oh, God. So that one got destroyed. But uh, <laughs> but they took them out. If you, if you look at the Racing Hell video, you can see in the intro uh, there's uh, one of the girls sitting on the piece of mine, Eddie. Uh, so I'm pretty sure they used all of them uh, at that show, but I was not there. Uh, oh, it, 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 was, it was just the point you said that uh, they, they never sort of ended up going back into the warehouse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, the first thing I actually wrote down was stop taking. I mean, who looks after this stuff? To, you know, to not even know that it's gone missing, <laughs> not yeah. even question it. You know, it's, it's like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I've, I've actually been to those warehouses, yeah. and I, I saw I saw stuff there that I could not believe. 
and it, and it's, this goes right back to like when I was working when I was working back with a band back in '83. They've still got the old PA system they used to use, all stacked against the far wall, and it's like unbelievable. Yeah. If you look, you use it, sell it to somebody you can, you know. It's, but they don't need the money, so you know, who cares? <laughs> well, I have a cool picture from the guy who had them in his garden. They actually take up the whole garden. He also had the crystal ball from uh, Seven Tour that yeah. apparently came up at the sound desk area. But I've never seen a live picture of that uh, crystal ball. Okay, again, go, go back to the uh, tree, Eddie. I think it was one of those things that they tried, it didn't work. They, they just got rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Rez, did you think? I, I, did you see the '88 tour? Did you see the? See yeah. The, yeah. As a 16-year-old kid in the audience that night, did you, in your wildest dreams, imagine that one of those <coughs> props one day would be sitting? <laughs> no, not at all. It's. Uh, I was just. Uh, I was just super happy to finally get the chance to see uh, the band. Yeah. Because I had been a fan for some years back then, but I was living at the countryside and it was not uh, possible for me to see the band live before that. So uh, I was just over the moon. And from there, it just took off because being a fan of, of Eddie is fun. Being a fan of the music is cool to listen to. But seeing the band live is oh. something completely different. And from there, I didn't look back. It was tour Denmark, then started like a small rings in the water, going to Sweden, Germany, and then the world. And it's still so much fun traveling all over the place in the world, meeting all you guys. Uh, it's it's the best hobby ever. Yeah, agree one. Agree one hundred percent. Agree one hundred percent. And this is. What makes being Iron Maiden fans so such a great experience and a great hobby? It it actually connects you to people. It connects you to the world. It connects you to cultures that you otherwise might not experience. And um, uh, look, I'm sure fans of other bands travel as well, but I think we as Maiden fans are are actually renowned for it, for actually traveling long distances to see the band. So. It's a wonderful thing, and I think collecting is just an extension of that fandom, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, great yeah. chat, gentlemen. Great chat, um, Raz. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you for giving up your time to uh, talk to us today. You are welcome back anytime, and I mean anytime. So, um, thank you very much. Okay.